Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. Let's turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, I wanna read a parable. This is from Jesus. It says this, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, man, I could preach not just a sermon, but an entire series of that verse right there. We've got crowds of Christians today selecting what they wanna hear from Jesus. But this crowd was listening to everything, everything. What would that look like to listen to everything that Jesus said? Not just what comforts you or what you feel uh, affirms what you want to believe, but to listen to everything that Jesus, I'm trying to pick fights out here and we aren't even into the sermon already. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said and because He was nearing Jerusalem, He told them a story to correct the impression that the Kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, a noble man was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided uh, among them 10 pounds of silver saying, invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you'll be governor of 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said, you will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. Verse 22, you wicked servant, the king roared. Let me try that again. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you if you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvest crops I didn't plant. Why didn't you deposit my money in a bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they, were, they said, he, he already has 10 pounds. Pounds. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to be their king, bring them in here and execute them right in front of me. Yeah, we've got a savage scripture to kick off a series on biblical stewardship today, we are calling How's Money. And being fully transparent, I, I, I wanna just inform you that there is an agenda with this series. The agenda is to get us vision ready. In November, each and every year as a global church, we come around the vision all across the world. And our chance in October is to get us ready, to get our hearts ready, to get our minds ready, to get our faith ready and get us expectant for the vision so that we can participate in it. And uh, as we strategically use this month 
of October to position our hearts. I wanna, I wanna preach to you today from a specific topic, which I'm entitling, God puts more in your hands. God puts more in your hands. You sure you wanna stay for the sermon? It's already savage just from the Scripture. You sure you wanna stay for the sermon? Well, if you're not sure, then take the moment where I ask you to greet a neighbour and hug somebody to make your exit, make it swift, because we're gonna get right into it here. We ain't waiting for you. So why don't you do this? Find four of the best looking people. Give them a hug. If you're making your exit, make it now. In every church, we love you. We're so grateful for what God has prepared for you today. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, worship teams all across the globe. Outstanding. So I uh, rode in our church elevator the other day. I ain't trying to flex on you that we got an elevator, but, but I was with a couple of the executive team and we were going up to the boardroom and we got into the elevator and I just had a moment. I said, this is so cool, guys. We're in our, we're in our elevator. And they looked at me the way you, you're looking at me. Like, okay, it's an elevator. I'm like, yeah, but it's an elevator. Like, like I, I don't know about you, but I'm still pinching myself that we're in this space. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm still walking around, looking at things, just, just wondering when someone's gonna take it off us because we're not meant to be here or something like that because I know the miracles it took to get here. Uh, I, I, we're literally standing on, on miracle soil. We're standing in the midst of a miracle and there are moments that I pinch myself because I don't wanna forget what it took to get here. I wanna reflect in the details. I wanna look in the little elements. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna continually give glory to God with my astonishment that He did it, He provided. And even if it's I'm riding in an elevator and not walking upstairs, I'm so grateful, God. I'm so grateful. I was, I was reflecting, funny story, on, on the process of what it took to raise the money to, to get this place. Some of you were here, you would remember, it was a faith gap. It was a miracle season where we stretched and we had people sell their homes and bring, kids, kids were selling stuff that they were making to, to build the house of God. A moment in, in our church's life that have changed me forever and really impacted me at a deep level, the, the, the amount of people that would partner with the vision to provide a space for people to meet God and encounter His presence. And I can remember in that season, some well-meaning people making me, uh, giving me introductions to wealthy people. Like, like people that know wealthy people. I love those people. It's like, what's better than owning a boat? Knowing someone who owns a boat, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you use it. And so I had well-meaning people introduce me to wealthy people. And, and, and it was fascinating in the process of just sharing with them, they were meant to be believers. This one guy in particular, incredibly wealthy, incredibly wealthy. So wealthy that they could have partnered with the vision. In fact, just bought the building outright. We wouldn't even need a loan. We wouldn't have needed people to sell their homes. They could have just bought it outright. And I remember meeting with this person. I was just amazed that I got to meet with this person. And, and as I'm sitting there chatting and we're talking and I'm sharing the vision uh, and, and I asked, hey, did you, wanna, did you wanna partner and help us buy this, this building? said something that revealed to me he didn't know our story. I'm not gonna tell you exactly what he said just yet. Because if he knew our story, he wouldn't have said what he said. 
Because I remember when we moved with just 11 suitcases. <laughs> just a decade ago, moving, selling everything, selling knives and forks, you know, the things that you collect when you have your wedding and people bless you with stuff off your gift registry, the things that you never ever have to replace replacing them, selling them and starting all over at the call of God and seeing faithful people come and partner with the vision at different stages and different moments throughout the story where we didn't just rest on what we had and we didn't just wait because we didn't have a building to build the church. We began to mobilise church planners and start campuses all around the globe that are joining us right now. All over the place, we just began to mobilise people in their calling and use what God gave us and we put it to work. As I'm sitting there and I ask this guy, would you like to, to partner? Would you love the privilege to give to build the church? He said something to me which was strange. He, he said, I don't think the church can handle that much money. <laughs> now trust me, I wasn't rude. <laughs> but knowing where we started, knowing what God had done, I said something intentional back. I said, respectfully, we have more vision than you have money. I, I also said, I also said, and based on what we've seen God do, we can handle more. Based on what we've seen God do, we can handle more. If you're a note taker, I want you to write that sentence down. We can handle more. I, I, I want to come back to that. That's why I'm asking you to write it down. Maybe even make it a subheading if you would like to, if you're a fancy note taker, but, but we can handle more. I want to come back to that, but before I do, I need to make something clear as a theological foundation that we can build upon over this entire series, which is the fundamental truth that there is more. <laughs> Allow me to clarify that statement because while you've probably learned in life that often there is more than one side to to every situation and generally there is more uh, to, to any given story that you will encounter. I'm talking about the fact that there is more with God. There is more that God wants to do through you. There is more that God wants to do on the earth. There is more that God wants to do through the church. And even though He has already done so much as your pastor, I, I need to and I am compelled to reveal to you that there is still more. You need to know this deep down in your soul that there is still more with God. God is not limited. God is not, He's not out of money. God is, God is not desperate. There is more that God has and there is more that God wants to do. I'm trying to make this emphatic until I get some nods and some agreement here in this brand new church building that there is more. In fact, when it comes to the purpose, the plan and really the provision of God, there is much more than you think. You see, the notion of more is echoed throughout Scripture to emphasise both the abundant and the limitless nature of God. It's a concept that, that speaks to His magnitude as well as His magnificence, confirming the fact that God has not run out of ways in which He can work in your life. No matter what twists and turns that life has taken, God still has a way where He can work His will in and through your life. God's got more than one way. God's got ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And God has ways upon ways which He can work in your life. For instance, with regards to the way in which we overcome in life as believers, Romans 8.37, Paul presents it this way. He, 
says that not only are we victorious, but he says we are more than conquerors in Christ. Similarly, when presenting a correct perspective around the power of God's grace, Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, in relation to the law, he says God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. It's a lot of more. This is because God's plan for us is actually pretty plain. That through a deeper understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would become more like Him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. If the Bible repeats itself, it's not because it's limited with words or it has nothing else to say. It's emphatic. God's plan is to make you more and tomorrow more and next week more like Him. That as you walk with Him and, and talk with Him, that you would become more like Him. However, I wanna make sure I teach this correctly this morning because while the statement there is more can certainly refer to what God's got for us, it more accurately speaks to what God has already given us. <laughs> Can I give you some good Bible teaching for the three people that are with me? Because Ephesians chapter one, verse three reveals all praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now, now regardless of how you read that, what the apostle makes abundantly clear is that God doesn't hold blessings back. God doesn't hold blessings back. Instead, what the apostle is emphasizing here that God has blessed us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessings. In fact, in other words, God's blessings aren't result, like reserved in heaven's vault, locked up and then released. That God just gave you access. Because of your union with Christ, you've been given access. So if there is a vault, and if it is locked, guess who has the keys? <laughs> we're not real quick yet today, but uh, you know, let's make it verbal. I know we're a long way away. There's like right at the back in the balcony. Like, let's just, like if, if it, there is a vault of blessings and let's just say it's locked, who has the keys? Yeah, we do. Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Because of your union with Christ, you now have access to every spiritual blessing that God has Given. And furthermore, at the risk of provoking some people today, I have to inform you that accessing those blessings has less to do with God and more to do with me. Just look at your neighbor real quick and say, there is more. That's a preacher's technique to break the awkwardness. Let me, let me qualify that concept through the passage we have here in Luke chapter 19. Here we got Jesus right before His entry into Jerusalem. And he's telling the crowd a story known as the parable of the pounds. It's very similar to another story you'll find in Matthew 25 called the parable of the talents. However, there are two main differences. In this particular story, there are 10 servants uh, and they're all given money as opposed to three. And unlike the parable of the talents, 
In this story, the parable of the pounds, all 10 servants are actually given the same amount. It says this, verse 13, before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver saying, invest this for me while I am gone. Now this is significant because what the king was giving, they all got. Let me repeat that. What the king was giving, each one of them got it. They even got an equal amount in this particular parable. And I wanna pause here because like the parable of the talents, it doesn't sound like much. Like he's got 10 pounds, 10 servants, they get a pound each. It doesn't sound like a lot. However, what you need to understand What's referred to in other translations is not a pound, but a amina. And what you might not be aware of is the amount amina represents. It's actually not a small amount of money, neither is a talent, by the way. For example, amina represented roughly six months salary. Why is that important to know? Because if you read this passage one way without knowing the amount, you might presume that God is limited or that He's stingy. He ain't. God is generous. And He generously gives to those in His service. And what Jesus is illustrating here in Scripture is that each was given an amount to work with, or what you could call house money. That's what it's called. It's called house money. House money, for those who don't know, is money that ain't yours. (laughs) It's not your money. You don't own that money but it is yours to access and yours to use. It's house money. And this is what they were given. They were given house money. They were living on house money. The the king was going away and he left his money to them to use and to work. He gives the clear instructions, invest this while I'm gone. It's, It's money that's yours to handle. Personally, I have never had the privilege of being a trust fund kid. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Haven't had that privilege. But I do remember one time borrowing my dad's car. It's the closest thing I came to a trust fund kid. <laughs> I, I had my own car. It was pretty crappy, uh, but I was 17. I, I bought that beast with my own money, okay? <laughs> However, at the time I was getting to know Kira, I'd been in the friend zone for three years and my, my dad, he, he, he kind of knew and he kind of was feeling me and he thought, time to be wingman. And, and he said, hey, Adam, because he knew I was gonna take Kira out on a date. We're gonna go from friend zone to date. And he's like, hey, why don't you take my car? You remember this, babe? And I don't know what me and my dad were thinking, like as if the car (laughs) is gonna change everything, you know? (laughs) Like for three years, finally, he's driving a nice car. Like, (laughs) but needless to say, I took the opportunity, never had I borrowed dad's car before. And I remember him saying to me, he handed me the keys and he said, son, I want you to act like it's yours but remember that it's mine. (laughs) I was like, okay, what does that mean? He's like, well, I'm giving you the keys. So I'm giving you permission to use it. Don't let me give you the keys and leave it in the driveway. But as you're using it, every turn you take, remember it's mine. (laughs) Everywhere you park it, remember it's It's mine. There is a concept to understanding how to steward something. 
You see, it's one thing to have something, it's another thing to recognise where it comes from. And we have 10 servants here on house money. Verse 13 makes it clear. He says, invest this for me. <laughs> invest this, is the language up there? Invest this for me while I am gone. Now there are levels to this from Jesus, this parable, because on one level, He's actually revealing that He is the King in the story and that the Jewish people were the citizens that were rejecting Him, not wanting Him to be their King. And yet on another level, He's really unveiling and revealing the significance of biblical stewardship. Let me unpack that concept for you for a second, because you see, spiritually, stewardship reflects our witness to God's sovereignty and defines our obedience to Him as Lord. Spiritually, practically, Stewardship refers to our management of what is God's. In fact, biblical stewardship reveals our relationship with God, establishing God as owner and us as managers, administrators and co-workers with God. From the very beginning, we find that stewardship was the mandate that God presented in the garden. Like right from the beginning, we can track back to the first instance a man being created was the commission to, to be stewards, to, to steward what God had given. That the relationship between God and man would be one that is outworked through stewardship. That God trusts us. He entrusts us. He partners with us. We are not peasants. We are co-workers with Christ. And there is an honour to what God gives. We're called to be stewards. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. Notice how God always starts with blessing, by the way. That's cool. I just saw that. God, God blessed them. That's cool. That God didn't expect them to bring something and then bless them. God begins with blessing. Man, we could preach. Let's add that into the series. God begins with blessing. That's just been in my mind right now. That God doesn't say, hey, do this and then I'll release a blessing. But just when you come to Christ, blessed, favoured. From the beginning, God, I didn't do anything. No, that's right, because your blessing isn't based on you. Your blessing's based on Him. Huh. God blessed them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, so the mandate was clear. In fact, God even gave Noah a similar uh, stewardship mandate. Just a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 9, verse 7, it says, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. <laughs> that is a complicated way to say make more. Yeah. So not catching the drift of stewardship here. God says, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply and increase. Just to be emphatic, that stewardship is about managing, not maintaining. <laughs> What's the difference? Well, to manage refers to the administration of a resource to achieve uh, its intended and directed goal of growth. That's what management is. To maintain refers to the facilitation of a resource to ensure it remains at its original condition or level. You call to manage, not maintain. Someone needs to write that down. You're called to manage, not maintain. Yeah. To manage is not connected to maintain. While you may maintain your, your landscaping and maintain the height of the grass, 
God calls us to manage what he gives us, to bring increase. Now, can I make a quick side note? I feel like I need to do this because while the parable centers around money, please do not understand biblical stewardship extends beyond money. (laughs) Biblical stewardship refers to gifts that God gives you, anointing that God gives you, calling that God gives you, and also your time management. So please do not go out of here and get on your YouTube machine and blog about the fact that Pastor Adam just talks about money. I, I'm, I'm using money because Jesus does. Biblical stewardship reflects everything that God gives you. The reason money's in focus is because it's the hardest thing. And God knows that if He can get that, He gets everything else. <laughs> that if I can part with what I think is my money, then I'll part with what I think is my gifts. And I'll part with what I think is my anointing. And I'll part with what I think is my time. God's looking to get some flow. I need to make sure I can just eyeball every single body right through the camera, right into South Valley. Just looking right at South Valley. To know, to know that God wants us to steward what He gives us. That's why the tithe is often a struggle for some people. Because it's a stewardship battle. It's a stewardship battle. You know, when you begin to steward your finances correctly, it's like a spiritual key that unlocks everything else. Two out of the 10 servants managed their master's money while one maintained. (laughs) We don't even get around to the other seven in the story. Did you notice that? I don't even hear from them. But we see the expectation of stewardship is more. Are you still with me? The expectation of stewardship is more. Go to verse 15 with me because it says, after he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. Now, what's evident here is that the king was most interested in what they did with what they were given. It doesn't say in the parable, I know the parable doesn't include anything, but let's just go with the parable. It doesn't say the parable returned home, kissed all his kids, you know, kissed all his wives. They probably had a lot. And, and went and inspected just how the house was holding up. No, no, the first thing he did on returning is he went to the servants to find out what did they do with what they were given. As a, as a, the way the Bible works, what comes first is a matter of priority. In the biblical literature and the way that it is written, you will find that what comes first emphasizes priority. And the priority of the king was to find out, what did you do with what I gave you? Yeah, I'll check on the condition of everything else in a minute. I'll get to the kids. I'll pat them on the head. I'll make sure they're good. But I want to know, what did you do with my money? What did you do with what I gave to you? And his language reveals what pleases him because to the two servants who increased what they were given, he says, well done. Let me illuminate something significant to you. Do not confuse the language of the kingdom. I've shared this in, in leadership sessions and leadership circles before, but too many believers are expecting a thank you for their service. <laughs> too many, like I, I'm almost convinced that's what the third servant expected to receive. Master, I didn't increase it, but guess what? It's safe. I buried it. Here it is back. And as if the master's gonna go, oh, thank you. 
at least you didn't lose any, you know what I mean? Like, let's talk about that. I mean, in this market, in this condition, you know, it's volatile right now. At least you didn't lose it. I got back what I... No, no, we, we have so many people thinking that they're going to get a thank you. Expecting, did you know Jesus didn't thank anybody? He didn't go to his disciples and say, guys, thank you for leaving your fishing career and becoming a disciple. Thank you. In the, in the same way you ain't going to get to heaven and enter the pearly gates or whatever your image is of heaven and, and, and there's a whole welcoming committee saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Christians. Thank you for surviving. Thank you, thank you for, for, for denying all the sins of the world and, and making it. Thank you. What a pitiful, disgusting representational understanding of the kingdom. If you think you're going to be thanked, think again. I used to make this mistake when we first started the church. Right in the early days, we just started and we were surprised when anybody turned up. We had no budget, no money, no marketing skills. We literally just made one flyer for six months and we printed in bulk so we got the discount and we would, we would literally get a marker and rub off all the dates that had expired and we'd still use the same flyer. So when people came, it was a surprise. What brought you? And I remember I'd stand in the lobby and I'd, I'd greet people. Hey, thank you so much for coming today. Man, thank you. Thank you for taking time to come. I remember one time I thanked somebody and they went, mm, and they kept walking through. Like, I'll tell you how good it is. You know, kind of like, here I am, the, the poor, feeble pastor thanking people for coming to watch my show. Thanks for coming. Please, would you give? <laughs> when the reality was, I had that moment as I thanked somebody one time, I felt the Holy Spirit convict me. What are you thanking them for? Are you thanking them for coming to the place where transformation is gonna take place? Are you thanking them for the coming to the place where heaven meets earth? Are you thanking them that they're coming to the place where their breakthrough is? I got so convicted, I repented on the spot and I changed my language that day. From that day on, I still greeted people, but I said, well done, great job. I'm glad you're here. That's what I began to use, kingdom language. Kingdom language isn't thank you, it's well done. Kingdom language is not thanks for guys. Great job, keep going. Kingdom language is not, oh, I am so, I'm so grateful. That you Kingdom language is good job, keep going. That's what you're meant to do. I'm glad for you that you're here. I'm glad for you that you're here because you're gonna have miracles take place here. You're gonna encounter sacrifice here at another level. You're gonna encounter vision for your life, vision for your marriage, vision for your family, vision for your business. You were dead and dormant and wondering, is there anything to life? But because you came to the house of the Lord, you are finding connections, relationships and vision like you never thought possible. I'm glad for you that you are here. I'm glad for you. And getting a thank you. We used to even thank volunteers. And I know what you're thinking, you should be thanking volunteers. They're literally volunteering. No. Because I don't want to give you a reward here. You ain't doing it for me. You're doing it for the great King. You're doing it for the Lord of Lords. Don't let me give you a cheap reward of a thank you. Let me lay it up for the one who has a great reward for your service. So I will say, great job, keep going.
keep serving, keep giving because heaven is watching everything you do and I ain't gonna rob you of your reward. This is great preaching. I do not know why the balcony ain't standing. Have to come down there. Get far away in this church. Feel like I can't see you. I ain't that old. I can see all the way to the back. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm convinced we approach giving this way. As if God is thankful for our financial gift. Like I'm convinced most Christians are convinced that God is thankful for your financial contribution to His cause. Like as if God is running a charity that needs your help. This is a kingdom we're building, not a charity we're supporting people. We're building the kingdom. We're supporting a charity. It doesn't need a contribution now and then when you feel like, well, let me help out. No, 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 there is a calling to the giving. There's a stewardship required. Your mentality has to shift to be part of the kingdom and to be a good steward. Requires a mentality shift. Good stewardship isn't thanked, it's, it's acknowledged and rewarded. Let me say that again. Good stewardship isn't thanked. It's acknowledged and rewarded. The two servants who brought a prophet, they weren't thanked. They were acknowledged and they were rewarded. Are you staying with me? You're sticking with me. I'm preaching straight Bible. I'm not making this up. This ain't a financial peace seminar. This ain't some, some workshop on how to increase your finances. This ain't about, this is about honouring the Lord and being a good steward, whether it's your gift, your anointing, your talent, your time, your energy, whatever God gives you, translate the financial aspect to what you give back to God, to what you do with what God gives you. It's acknowledged and it's, Rewarded. It's acknowledged and it's rewarded. This is because God puts more in your hands. God puts more in your hands. Check it out. Not only does verse 16 reveal that the first and second servant were rewarded with meaning and significance and influence and status. But verse 24, check this out. It also says, then turning to the others standing nearby. The king ordered, take the money from the servant, from this servant, the wicked one, and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. Now, now they were shocked at this. They were shocked that in, in worldly economics, that doesn't make sense. In a socialist society, that doesn't make sense. He's already got some. That's fascism. Don't give him more. Trying to apply a human fairness to the kingdom of God. When you try and approach a humanistic understanding of God, you're gonna miss the significance of how kingdom economics work. That faithfulness is rewarded. Diligence is rewarded. Simply existing isn't rewarded. Oh, help me preach someone beyond the first rock. I, I know you, your mom told you your whole life you're amazing, you're incredible, no one's like you. But that doesn't qualify you for reward. It's not who you are, it's what you do. Who you are brings you into a relationship with Jesus. But as a revelation of who you are, it changes what you do. 
so, so what we have here is we have 10 pounds going to one who already had 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. No other sentence in Scripture articulates biblical stewardship better. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. Let me repeat it because this sentence is central for biblical stewardship. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. Let me say it this way. God puts more in your hands. Maybe I could paraphrase it because it's a little tricky. God gives it, but we grow it. God gives you the ability to grow what's given. That's called stewardship. So more is actually in your hands. I'm going to see if it needs to fly from another angle. More, this means I have to manage my life in such a way so that I can bring increase to God. And so many times we have believers who are asking God for more. When God says more is in your hands. What do you mean, Pastor? Make it, make it, really, like, like make it really simple for me. Okay. God gives it. You grow it. But we've got believers coming back to God for more because what He gave you, you didn't do more. Uh, let me go down here. Look friendly over here. What God does is He blesses you and He gives lavishly to you. He entrusts you. He says, from the beginning, I've blessed you. And then what He says I give, you grow. Like the good king that left the servants and said, here, invest it for me. Do something with it. Make it magical. Do awesome stuff. And, and then two of them did it. They brought back more. He said, well done. One came back with the same thing and he was wicked and lazy. So when you find yourself saying, God, give me more, what you're going to hear back is more is in your hands. More is literally in your hands. How you use what you're given determines the more that you get. And when you do more, more is released. Do you see the way the economy of the kingdom works? It's a, I know it's fascinating and it's backward because we want more of a handout. We, we want more of God. God, you've already got more. Would you give me more of what you've got? But God says, would you do something with what you've got and watch as more will be released to you. Watch as more is released when you, when you don't just sit on what you've got. Now this, again, is not just limited to finances. I'm talking your giftings, your anointing, your calling. The thing that you're holding on and sitting into. Some of you here are, have got a beautiful voice or a music, musical skill, but you, you're, you're more than happy just to hide that. And you look at the stage and go, man, they're fine. And they're fine. Trust me, they're fine. <laughs> By the way, we don't need anything here at Vive Church. God is our provider. But what God allows you to do is to be a steward of what you've got here in this soil. You gotta get, I mean, I am preaching so much doctrine. It's amazing. But for you to sit on it and hold it, 
Don't come next week, okay? Because next week I'm preaching about the tithe. Don't come next week, just warn you. Not the week to come next week. Because what I want to talk about next week is one of the greatest ways we steward. So many people, so many, I got so many people. I meet people all the time who new to the church. I love that we've got so many new folks to the church, but let me speak to the new folks of the church. Don't delay your obedience to God and your stewardship just because you're flying under the banner of new. You might fool us, but you don't fool God. And I'm not just talking about your tithe, I'm talking about your talents. If God brought you here, say, God, here I am, use me. This ain't some old Pentecostal church where we make you jump through hoops and go for a long time and prove your value and your loyalty before we use you. No, we've got, we've got, we've got, we've got spaces and places and ways for you to actually use your gift because we're good stewards of our gift. We're good stewards of what God gave us. And so many people delay their obedience and their stewardship with excuses like, God, I just haven't really found my home church yet. It's because you've been looking for 10 years and the moment that it comes to the point where you have to actually use something, you find somewhere else to go to. Um, is that, that, that's the hardest thing out of everything I've said today? <laughs> Let me stay on that. <laughs> as a steward, as a good steward, as a biblical steward, where's the moment where you say, God, what I've got, I'm gonna give to you. What I've got, I'm gonna put to work. What I've got, I'm going to start to bring increase. God, I don't want to sit on my gift. I don't want to sit on my talent. I don't want to sit on this anointing. I don't want to sit on these finances. I don't want everything to come to me. And I just say, God, would you give me more? What I do is I say, God, I recognise what you've got. Maybe it's just a seed right now. Maybe it seems insignificant. But the Bible says, you who were faithful with little, much was given. More's in your hands. More's in your hands. More is with your hands and what you do with it determines the more that God pours into your life. God doesn't take you from the couch to the stage. There's a faithfulness journey of using what little and God expands it. Using that little honouring and being faithful with the little and watch as God expands it. This whole series is dedicated to this idea of house money that what we've got is from God. Carrying a humility to know that what I've got is from God. One of the greatest places you can be in your life to look at everything you've got, even your family, your marriage, everything. When you look at it as this is not mine, this is God's, He gave it to me. So I am gonna use it and facilitate it and I'm gonna carry it in a way where I use it for His glory and I'm gonna bring increase through it. Even a marriage, yes, even a marriage. To have the humility to recognise, I ain't that good to get hurt. That's God. It's God. But when you recognise that it's God's and you're the manager, you begin to hold it differently. You don't hold it so preciously and strangling it and crushing it. You begin to open-handedly use it, begin to sow it. I'm telling you, you are in for a treat this series. I'm warning you next week's gonna be spicy. Don't you come but bring your first time guests. Let's send them, okay? Send them. If it's too hot for you, send someone new, okay? Because they ain't trying to get out of it. They want all that God's got for them. Here's the key. The key is to work what you've got. 
The key to this whole stewardship thing is simply working what you've got. God doesn't ask you to give what you don't got. He didn't go to the servants He gave nothing to and asked them for an increase. He asked them, what did you do with what I gave you? Some of you haven't realised God's been giving you things. You've counted it as yours. You've accredited your own brilliance. You've somehow accredited it to your personality or some celestial uh, makeup or some divine moment beyond God. It was God that gave it to you. And when you work what you've got, that's stewardship. I want you to stand to your feet in every location. To work what you've got. First thing is to recognise, God, you've given me stuff. Maybe you could do that right now in a moment of reflection. If you just close your eyes all across this place, just standing in the presence of God and close your eyes, maybe you could acknowledge, God, you've given me some stuff. What's God given you? Has He given you a family? Has He given you a marriage? Has He given you a career? He's given you skill sets, gifting? He's given you anointing? Maybe He's given you finances. So much that God gives us. And half of the problem to the anxiety that we deal with of not having enough is firstly recognising what we do have. To be grateful, God, You have given me so much. I have been blinded to all the things that You've been doing in my life and what You have for my life. And the first step is to say, God, I repent for not acknowledging what it is that You've given. God, I'm humbled that You would give me this, that You would bestow upon me this. And then to repent for not putting it to work the way it should. To hold it back and keep it from God, keep it from His Kingdom, keep it from all that it's meant to achieve. I wonder what you've got to work today. What are you working with? What are you working with in your life? That you could say, God, after I repent, God, now here it is, I'm gonna honour you. For some of you, it, it literally, over this series and hopefully starting today that you recognise I've got to honour God with my finances. I've got to bring my tithe to God. I'm not going to make excuses for bad stewardship anymore. I'm going to honour God. For some of you, you've got a gift that you have kept silent. You saw these people getting mobilised and built into serving the house of God. You might ask, is everybody meant to serve? Yes. Yes. Emphatically, yes. That is the expectation of the Kingdom of God. Jesus said, I came to serve and not be served. So if Jesus had a mandate for His life, then that applies to every single believer and co-worker with Christ Jesus that we are meant to serve. Not everybody serves in a role on a Sunday. Maybe you serve in an outside of the church role, but we are meant to bring our service to God. Yes, I can give you a thousand Scriptures and maybe I will throughout this series around that. But the pastoral commission today is to not Sit on what you got, but to put it to work. I feel the Holy Spirit speaking in many different ways to many different people. That's the beauty of this. I allow the Holy Spirit to bring a clarity and a conviction around what it is that He's speaking to you. So as you close your eyes, I'm gonna just ask that you would invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate an area in your life that you could be a steward. That maybe you could steward better. Maybe you could steward stronger and realising that God, you've put more in my hands. 
You put more in my hands. So God, as I do something with it, I'm praying that you would release more into my life. A greater influence, a greater impact, a greater significance than I've ever seen before. Come on, if that's your prayer today, I want you to lift your hands that God, you want to, you want to see God grow you like He rewarded these servants with leadership and oversight and, ins- and significance. That you also are saying, God, I'm ready for you to increase my life and increase my sphere. Lord, that I'm ready to lead people. But God, here it is what I have, I give to you. God, I pray for each and every person right now. There's acknowledging God, I got areas that you can have. Pray that you would release your very power upon them to have eyes to see what it is that you've put in their hands. Empower your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.